Well, Bethel Gary, I am ready to preach God's word, excited as always to see what God is going to do through his infallible, inerrant word. And so would you breathe a word of prayer with me uh, this afternoon? Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that is continually sufficient for us and working on our behalf. Right now, Father, as a church, we pray that you would use your word to speak to our hearts and transform our minds so that we can see clearly and that you will fool us with the full knowledge of Christ. I pray that you would have my flesh behind the cross and that you would use your word to do what it always do, which is to bring life to the dying. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody say it and everybody type amen. Somebody type amen. Go ahead and hit that hard button so that I know that you're rocking with us. And uh, we are going to be back in the book of Romans, starting at verse 6, and then we're going to end at verse 8. A couple weeks ago, when we were in Romans, I addressed our individual pride. You and I must realize that pride has no place in the church. We address our pride by doing an honest evaluation of self. He basically, uh, we, we, we got to do an honest evaluation of self. We call it self-check. Y'all know, how, y'all know how we say it. We, we often say self-check or check yourself before you wreck yourself. You got it? Paul asked us to be balanced in our view of ourselves last time we were in the book of Romans. He basically was like, don't think too highly and don't think too lowly of yourself. But think according to the way God has gifted and made you. Because when, because when you do, you can do what God has made you to do. When we think rightly about ourselves, church, we are able to now function in the way that God has called and fashioned us to function individually. And what has God made you to do? Well, God has not made you to do everything uh, in, 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 uh, in, in The Last Dance, which is a documentary that has just dropped with Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Anybody love the Bulls out there? Love the Bulls. One of the best teams that has ever existed. And I would say it is still the best team that has ever existed. And so in The Last Dance, we learned many lessons. And, 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 and if I could zoom in on Michael Jordan, it took Michael Jordan almost seven years to, to, to learn this thing that Paul is trying to teach us today. What is that? Michael, you can't do everything. Michael tried to win a championship on his own. He tried to do it by his own efforts. He tried to uh, put the whole team on his back and move them to victory on his own. But what Michael had to learn is that, Michael, you have to share the ball if you want to come out on top on the other end. Michael believed the only way to win was by doing it himself. And that's a lot of us this afternoon. We feel like the only way we can win is if we do it ourselves. It's kind of our Americanized society that continues to to teach us this kind of individualistic thinking that, 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 that I'm my own superhero, that I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps, or I can do bad all by myself. I know I'm preaching to somebody right now. I know you're feeling me because the reality is that none of us want to be vulnerable and none of us want to be dependent on anybody, but we want to be self-sufficient. And so we try to stack up our bank accounts and stack up our resume so that we don't have to depend on anybody. But Paul, here in this chapter, in these verses, wants to communicate to us, the church, that God has not created Christians to succeed on their own, but instead God has created us to succeed together. I want to talk to you about the value of a team. 
Michael had to learn this the hard way. Michael lost every time he tried to do things by himself. He discovered you can't win a championship by yourself, but you can win with a team. When Michael got past his pride, he saw the value in his team. And sometimes it takes us pushing past our pride, pushing past ourselves to begin to see the value of having a team. Now that's Now that Paul has addressed in the last few verses our pride, he now wants us to see the value of our team. So take a look. Our text, chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. There it is. For as in one body we have many members, and in, in, in the members do not all have the same function. Talk to us, Paul. So, though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We hear you, Paul. Continue to talk to us. Having gifts that defer according to the grace given to us, let us use them. It prophesy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teach in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhorting, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The first thing that I want to point out to you this morning is the church is an organism, not an organization. The church is an organism, not an organization. You and I will not and cannot appreciate this text until we get a right understanding of the church. So many of us walk around with a misunderstanding of what the church actually is. We see it as an organization or we see it primarily as a business. We need God to renovate our minds and give us a fresh understanding of what the church is is. Michael Jordan needed a mind renovation after switching coaches. If you watch the last dance, one of the issues is that, is, is that Michael's first coach only allowed Michael to see the court uh, in such a way that Michael only seen himself. But when Phil Jackson stepped into the coach position, Phil Jackson had to renovate Michael's mind so that when Michael looked at the court, Michael didn't just see himself, but instead Michael actually seen his team on the floor. God wants us to see more than us in the body. But if we will begin to see the church rightly, Paul wants us to see the church is not a building. Amen, somebody. The church is not a building. Here it is, church, but the church is a living organism. It is not an organization. It is an organism. It is a body. I can hear somebody already. I pastor, preacher, Apostle, bishop, whatever you call yourself, I hear what you are saying, but you, but, but you have to have organization. You have to have the bylaws in the Constitution, and you have to be legal. You have to have business meetings. You have to, you have to, be, you have, to have organization. I love the way one, one preacher says it. He says, what are those people who say those kinds of things so, so, so adamantly uh, uh, defending? If somebody defends the organization more than they defend the organism, then it is obvious that he has not gotten a realization that, that, that renewed mind. Because when you put the organization first, it is always people at the expense of the, organiz- of, of, of the organism. 
An organism by its own necessity will organize itself. Organization certainly is there. The spirit does things decently in in order. But, But you don't put the organization first. You put the organism first. We must put people first. We must put the body first. And as we care for people and as we love one another, then organization should come alongside that. But we have to see people the way that God sees them first. So the body is made up of all sorts of people. And by the way, it's made up of black people and white people and Asian people and people with kinky hair and people with long hair and people with brown eyes and people with blue eyes. Yes, the body of Christ is made up of all sorts of people because that's the power of the gospel that Jesus has the ability to hang up on the cross and die for our sins, but not only reconcile us to God, but reconcile us to one another. But that's another story. That's another sermon for another time. But we must understand that the body of Christ is made up of all kinds of people. And here's the crazy part. You think the bulls was something, but the church church is the dopest team ever created. The, the, the church is the dopest team ever created. And God has given each person in the body a spiritual gift. What is spiritual gift? Having gifts that defer according to the grace given to us. Preach to us, Paul. Here's a definition of a, of, of a spiritual gift. I love the way that our senior pastor, Pastor Steve, puts it. He says, a spiritual gift is any ability that, that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any, any ministry of the church. These spiritual gifts are not to be confused with natural gifts. These spiritual gifts are not to be confused with natural gifts. Everybody watching The Last Dance can obviously see that Michael Jordan is a gifted leader. If Michael Jordan wasn't nothing else, Michael Jordan was a gifted leader. The Bulls would have not become who they were without good leadership, and Michael was a good leader. He had a gift to lead so much that people wanted to be like Mike. You remember the commercial, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be like Mike, but we can be wowed by these natural gifts that we see by ordinary people on a day-to-day basis. And when we see them functioning in their natural gifts, we are wowed by it. But natural gifts are, are, are not that impressive when you consider spiritual gifts and what spiritual gifts are able to accomplished. There's something that happens when we use our gifts that God has given us. God has the ability to take that skill, to take that gift, and to produce something for His glory. The difference between a natural gift and a spiritual gift is that spiritual gifts are empowered by the Holy Spirit and produce spiritual fruit that the natural gift never could. I don't care how talented someone is. There are certain things that only God can do. Man can do what man can do, and God can do what only God can do, and God has the ability to do great and wonderful things through you as he wires and designs you to use your gift to his glory. And listen, God knows what gifts to give us. I love this. I want to sit here for a minute. I really want us to soak this in because although we all have different gifts, the one question that we have is, how do I get the gift that I get? Well, you get the gift that you get according to God. Having gifts that defer according to the grace given to us. 
who doesn't like a gift. I know I love gifts. I take gifts anytime. Even when people say, I'm sorry, I missed your birthday and I forgot to give you a gift. That's all right. You can give me a gift anytime. My birthday can be every day. As far as I'm concerned, we all love stuff free. We love free stuff. This is why I go to Sam's Club and, and Costco because they got those little free, you know, yeah, them little things you could try. You could do the little tasters or whatever. And I go past some things about three, four, five times till I fill up because because what? They, they're free. We all love free. We are tempted to think that the gifts we have stem from ourselves, but Paul reminds us that gifts are gifts. They are given to us, not earned by us. We do not earn our spiritual gifts. It's not if you tithe enough that God will give you a gift. It's not that if you come to church enough that God will give you a gift. God is the one person in all of the universe that when he gives, there's no strings attached. I love God because when God gives, he gives freely, not expecting anything in return for that gift. When God gives gifts, he doesn't operate like we do. We go and ask people, well, we go and ask people whenever we want to give them a gift, we say, well, uh, what can I get you? What would you like? Why? Because we don't want to get the wrong thing or something they wouldn't like. You ever got a gift that you never wanted or, or during Christmas time somebody got you that, that dollar store gift and you don't even know how to define it. You don't even know what it is. And so usually what we want to do is we want to ask people what kind of gift would you like? Which pair of Jordans you want? What would you like for your birthday? But God doesn't ask us what kind of gift we want. Why? Because God knows what gift will fit you best. Let me say it again. God doesn't inquire. God doesn't ask you, church, what kind of gift, gift you want because God knows what gift will, would suit you best. God doesn't ask us what kind of gift we would like. Why? Because God knows what gift will fit us best. God doesn't inquire of us because God doesn't need your counsel when it comes to you. Listen, God knows you. God has created you. God has in his infinite wisdom put you in the location that you're in, caused you to be born at the time you are born in. God knows exactly what you need. God knows exactly how to give you. We have to get this. We have to feel this in every fiber of our being to begin to rest in the sovereignty of God. This is why you shouldn't grumble with how God made you. This is why you shouldn't try to become fitting to people's preference. People are going to want you to be all kinds of things. People are going to have all kinds of opinions. In fact, people got opinions of what kind of preacher I should be or how I should preach and all of these other opinions. But at some point, you got to make up in your mind that you're going to be who God has created you to be, whether people like it or not, because the way God has made you and designed you is, is, is exactly what God wants, and no one else is going to, to, to give you any information that is going to be better than the one that God has already given you. Be who God has called you to be. Don't be like Mike. Be like Dexter. Don't be like Mike. Be like Charles or whoever you are out there on FB. I hope you hear me loud and clear. Be exactly who God has called you to be. You're going to find so much freedom and so much liberation the moment you begin to embrace the you that God God has called you to be. We don't get to choose what gifts we will have. God doesn't give us an option. God doesn't give 
us an option. It's not like the pop machine when you go to Wendy's and you got all these various choices. You get to choose. You get to pick. God doesn't do that with us. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 18, he says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Spiritual gifts are like fat in the body. We don't get to decide where the fat goes in the body. It goes wherever the body decides to put it. I don't know about you, but I wish I had control over where fat goes at in my body. But I don't have any control over it. And in fact, there's some people that tells you, even if you want to lose fat, you can actually target the areas in which you want to lose fat in the body. That's a lie as well. You don't even get to choose where you want to lose fat in the body. But man, if I had it my way, ooh, if I had it my way to put fat where I want it to be, I'll tell you where it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be on my stomach. But instead, the body decides to put it exactly where you don't want it to be. But in the same way, spiritual gifts are the same way. We don't get to choose where they go at in the body. God chooses to put the gifts where he wants to put them. God chooses where gifts go in the body. And how does he choose? He chooses according to his will. God, is, God in his infinite wisdom knows exactly what you need and what the body needs. God knows what Scotty needs. God knows what Rodman needs. God knows what Kerr needs. He knows what Grant needs. He knows what MJ needs. And God knows how to gift the body to equip the body. God knows how to gift the body in order to equip the body. I got to tell y'all so many times I sit in my office and, 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 and I'm reminded of how blessed I am when I consider those who are in our body for every circumstance and every situation. God has planted people in Bethel Church, Gary, who are able to meet the needs or have a particular gift that we need in order to carry out ministry. God knows what he is doing. But the issue for most people is we don't see God building a church or a team, we see God building us, or we only focus on building us. But the reality is no Christian can do this walk alone by themselves. This is why the gifts and fruit go hand in hand. Part of our issue is that uh, we don't see God you, uh, giving us gifts to build up one another. We see those gifts as building ourselves. And so many people want to use the church to build a name for themselves and to build a profile for themselves. And it's not about them looking out for the interests of other people, but they begin to look out for the interests of themselves. Does anybody know anybody like that? And if you don't know nobody like that, you may be that person. But, but oftentimes what we find is people trying to use the body in order to build their own brand in their own name. But this is not why God has gifted the body. This is why it's important that we not only focus on gifts, but we also focus on the fruit of the Spirit. Gifts are not the primary evidence of salvation. Just because you're gifted doesn't mean you're saved. I'll say it again. Just because you're gifted doesn't mean that you're saved. It is not the gifts of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit that indicates spiritual maturity. Man, there are some phenomenal people in ministry. There are really gifted people in the church, but sometimes people allow their gifts to go to their head. 
and all they focus on is growing in their gifts, but spend no time growing in Christ. They spend all their time trying to sharpen their gift, but they spend no time in growing in Jesus. They can easily wow a crowd with their ability to sing, I wish I could, and and their ability to preach, but when the lights and the cameras are off, they don't know much about Christ, and their character don't match their gifting. We see these days, we see these a lot of days, even with our gifted musicians that they hop church to church and they're really talented and they get paid a lot of money. And in one sense, I'm not mad at some of them, but the reality is, does anybody care about their souls? Does anybody care about them flourishing in the knowledge of Christ? Who cares if you can wow people with your gift if you don't know Jesus? Your gifts will make people think you know God, but fruit will testify to your own soul that you know God. Your gifts will make everybody else and fool everybody else that, 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 that you have this wonderful relationship with Jesus. But it is the fruit of the Spirit that is going to testify to your spirit that you are a child of God. And the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are what Christian maturity looks like. Not can you sing, not can you preach, but can you be loving in front of your enemies? Do you give? to other people? Do you go out of your way for other people? Can you abound in joy? Can can, can you endure long suffering? These are the things that are going to testify whether we know Jesus or not. Listen, the real miracle is not performing miracles, but the real miracle is the ex-sinner loving his neighbor as himself, not can he prophesy. And can we sit here for a minute Man, I have watched this in my own life. One preacher says, you know what's dangerous about ministry? You know what's dangerous about ministry? You want to know what's dangerous about church? You want to know what's dangerous about religion? You can learn how to do it. You can get really good at having church. So good at having church that you forget to have Jesus. But I don't want to have church. I, I want to have God. Anybody feel me on this Facebook page that, that I don't want to just have church, but I want to have Jesus. I want to know him, and then I want to know him deeply. I want to have God. We know we have God if we have fruit. We know we have God if we have fruit. It's not that we get to have God if we have fruit. No, it's not like that. It's that we know we have God if we have fruit. Listen to Jesus. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abide in me and I in him, it is, it is he that bears much fruit apart from me. You can't do nothing. What are you saying to us, Jesus? Jesus is saying, unless you have a relationship with me, unless you get to know me, unless you dwell with me, unless my word is down in your soul unless you find yourself on your knees praying to me you'll never be able to produce any any fruit and I love the way the old people used to say it they didn't have a whole lot of theology they didn't know justification or sanctification or propitiation or none of the ancients but what they did have is that they had Jesus and the way that they used to say it is that I know him in my knowing in other words deep down in my 
my soul. I may not be sophisticated. I may not have a lot of money. I may not be able to sing for in front of a thousand people. I may not be able to preach like some of the great preachers, but I'll tell you what I do or what I can is that, is that I know him when all hell is breaking loose and when the bottom drops out and when, and when a pandemic hits and the world is going crazy, I can be still because I know him. I wish I had some people that knew that in the middle of the storm that Christ is still with you. They knew him in their knowing. Do not let your gifts fool you. Jesus said in Matthew 7 on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There is a lot of preachers selling a lot of miracles all up in Africa. I remember that one video, the guy with the coat, he was swinging his coat and people were, were, were falling out and they're claiming that they're healing people and putting arms back on and hands back on. But in this text, Jesus says that he would say, away from me, workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Church, don't get so caught up in being gifted that you forget to love and know and and trust in Jesus. What's one, one way we know we are growing in the fruits of the Spirit? How does this, these gifts and these fruit work together? Because gifts are not bad. I don't want you to walk away thinking that being gifted is bad. Being gifted is not bad. But how does gifts and fruit work together? One of the ways we know that, 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 that we're in Jesus, that we're growing in Jesus, is that, is that, that, we, that, is that we will use our gifts to help others. We will use our gifts to help the body. I want you to take a good evaluation of yourself. I don't want you to assume that you're not like this. Don't think about the person in the front room next to you. I want you to think about you. When it comes to your giftedness, do you use it to help others? Okay, let me put it, I'm going to put it in a way that you can understand it. Let me put it in the terms of the last dance. Do you share the ball? The purpose of spiritual gifts is blessing and serving others in the church. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Or Ephesians 4, 12. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us that the incredible spiritual giftedness without love means nothing. Even if I have orator equal to the ability of angels, or if I cast out demons or move mountains, if I don't have agape love as a quality in my character, I gain nothing. God is not impressed by you if you cannot love your neighbor with the gifts he's giving you. God's not impressed. God's not stopping all of heaven to put the spotlight on you. Love is the quintessential Christian quality. It took Michael forever to get this, but Michael finally shares the ball. Michael finally realized that his gifts and talent were not given just to make him better, but to make his team better. Michael Jordan had to realize that God didn't give you all that giftedness, Michael, so that you could just be great. But I want everybody around you to be great. Do you remember? It was the game against the Lakers. It was game five of the finals, and Phil Jackson huddles his team together, and, 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 and he asks Michael a question. What does he ask? Michael. He said, Michael, who's 
open. Michael says, such and such is open field. Phil said, get him the ball. Michael listens. Now, here he goes. This is the chance for him to win his first championship. What, what will Michael do? Michael pass, passes the ball. And what, and, and, and what does his teammate do? He pulls up to a 4-3. Bang, he hits the three. Michael, it clicks for Michael. All oh, snaps. I don't have to do this on my own. And so he passes the ball to his teammate again. And what happens? Bang, he hits another three. And he passes again. And what happens? And bang, he hits another three. And all of a sudden, the Chicago Bulls win their first championship ever. And what I'm trying to say to you, church, if we would share the ball and, and, and if we would work together, we can start to hear spiritual threes for the kingdom of God. Bang, there goes another one. Bang, there goes another one. What is happening? We are sharing the ball. And when we share the ball, we are unstoppable. We must share, church. If we are going to win, we must win together. When the church comes together, when the, when, when the church folks share the ball, we are, we are hard to beat. When, when, when all of a sudden, no one is trying to steal the spotlight. No one is trying to be on top. But instead, imagine this. Just go here with me for a minute. That we begin to push one another along and say, no, I want you to be great. No, 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 no. I want you to be great. No, no, no. I want you to be better. No, 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 no. I want you to be better. No, you be in the spotlight. No, you be in the spotlight. No, I want to serve you. No, I want to serve you. What would happen? What would the world see if we did this? Such great and magnificent things can happen. And besides, the only one who should be in the spotlight is Jesus anyways. None of us should want to be in the spotlight but Jesus. But when the church begins to work together, marriages are stronger. Singles are stronger. Outreach is stronger. We can't do this alone. If Jesus wanted one man to do it, he would have did it himself, but he chose to use us all. We don't share the ball when we think we are the only ones gifted. If, if, if I think that I'm the only one gifted, if I think that I'm the only one that can get it done, if I think that I'm the only one that can preach, if I think that, 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 that Bethel Gary is going to stay together only if Dexter Harris is here, I'm never going to share the ball. But when I look out on a church that I see that God has gifted, I want to share the ball because when I share the ball, we are all better. The other thing that I love about God and the way that he runs his team is not only does God make sure that everybody on his team is gifted, not does God just make sure that, that, that we all have a skill and ability, but God also runs his team in such a way that there's nobody on the bench. Here's the incredible truth. God leaves not one person on the bench. Y'all know when the Bulls won uh, their, their championships, it's always those guys in the picture that nobody knows. Yeah, you don't know them. Why? Because they ain't never played the whole season. Uh, they've been on the bench the whole time. Now, I'm laughing, but those guys could surely beat me in basketball. But you don't know who that is. You're like, who's that guy in the corner holding up the ring? He need do nothing. I don't know why he on that. You know what I'm saying? So, but God is, <laughs> but God is different. God is not like that. God is not like that. God leaves nobody on the bench because everybody matters. Everybody matters. Every Christian has a spiritual gift or several spiritual gifts. So Christians hear this. 
you have at least one spiritual, granted, God-empowering gift. You got at least one gift. You may not have a lot of them. You may not have, have a hundred of them, but you got at least one gift. That means God has an assignment for every Christian. Did you hear me? Because God is giving you a gift, that is an indicator that God has an assignment for you. We see this in Ephesians 2, that before the foundations of the world, God created us to do good works. You and I should consider not staying on the bench because there is someone or something that needs us. God has planted you where you are so that he can use you. God gives to you are linked to God's assignment for you. Your, your, your gift and your assignment go hand in hand. So if you want to know what, what am I here for? What does God want me to do? As you discover your gifts, you're going to discover your purpose. And many of us can't find what that is because we think the only assignment God gives are those on Sunday mornings. I got a newsflash. The body is not gifted just for Sunday morning service. God is not giving the church a bunch of gifts so that the only thing happens is preaching, singing, and children's church. That's not the only reason that God gifted us. But there are a myriad of things that God wants us to do, and most of it has nothing to do with Sunday mornings. And we're learning this in COVID-19, that there's a multiple, multiple ways that God has gifted to church, and there's multiple assignments that God wants the church to do. And, 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 and if we can get out of this mind frame that the only time that God moves is on Sunday mornings, that is a lie from the pits of hell. In fact, I would argue that God moves mainly Monday through Saturday and also Sunday. But God moves Monday through Saturday, and he uses the church. Remember, the church is an organism. It is a body. It is not the building. So the church should always be on the move outside of the church. And the moment we open our eyes to this, the moment we get this, the moment we'll become more creative and more innovative. This is the good thing about this COVID-19 pandemic is it's called us to be more innovative, we probably have done more outreach than we have ever done in the history of our church just because we are starting to function outside of the church walls. Now people are getting saved and testimonies are popping up everywhere. And now we're at the hospitals and, and, and now we're at the nursing homes and, and now we're looking out for our neighbor and now we're figuring out creative ways to, to, to be innovative with the gospel because our gifts are made for more than Sunday morning. Listen, church, God will not call you to do anything that he has not equipped you to do. God is not Pharaoh. Let me say it again. God is not Pharaoh. He does not call us to make bricks with no straw, but instead he has gifted us to do that which he has called us to do. Having gifts that affirm according to the grace given to us, he said, let us use them. The emphasis in scripture is surprisingly not on how to discover your spiritual gift. There's a lot of things out there where they got you write down these different categories so you can figure out what spiritual gift you got. I know some people use it. I think that it's a bunch of hogwash, but to each his own. Uh, but on the necessity of using our spiritual gifts, the Bible is more so if you want to find your spiritual gift, get off the bench and begin to serve, and God in his sovereignty will lead you to that which he will have you to do. Most of the time, you don't discover exactly what it is God wants you to do until you do something. You got to at least get up and do something. 
and it starts out really, really, really wide. You don't know what it is. You're just like, I got a heart to serve Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Somebody, that's good enough. And if something comes across the screen or something comes on the Facebook page, hey, we're going to go feed the homeless or we're going to make care packages. And you feel a little something in your heart that says, man, I should do that. Get up and do it and stop making excuses. What should you be doing? You should be serving the church. All of us should be serving the church. And I hope, Bethel Gary, that you feel served by us, but we also want to feel served by you. This needs to be a two-way street. We need the gifts that God has given you so that all of us can be better. I start with serving the church because that's why God gave us the gifts. This is a good place to start. You start with serving the church. The gifts of the Spirit are gifts of grace granted by the Holy Spirit that are designed for the edification of the church. You are not going to discover your gifts sitting on the bench. It is something about getting on the court that allows you to discover what it is. Go dribble the ball, and you'll find out if you're a point guard, a shooting guard, or whatever. You got to get on the court. You focus on starting to walk and let God get you where you need to be. My three-year-old daughter taught me this not too long ago. She learned how to walk. Can you believe that? A couple years ago, this little girl learned how to walk. She tried one day. She got up one day. She was a little wobbly and failed a couple times and had to hold on to the wall, but she kept trying. And the more she kept trying, the better she became. She had the legs to walk. She just had to exercise her legs and practice. And the more she began to practice, the more she was able able to walk. The tools were already there. The resources are already there. And what I'm saying is that with your gift, it may start off wobbly. You may fall a little bit. You may trip a little bit. But friends, over time, give it enough time, letting the grace of God and the Holy Spirit get down into that gift and down into your heart and down into yourself and begin to move you and use you. You're going to find out that you're going to get better and better and better. I remember when I first started preaching, I was a hot mess, still trying to grow in my preaching. But I mean, I was a hot mess. There are some things that I said when I was 19 that I wouldn't say now. There are some, some homiletics that I had back then that I wouldn't exercise now. But over time, I got better and better and better, and I'm still getting better. You can ask Keith Stone. You can ask Kelly Burgess. You can ask Kayla. You can ask Ruth. They've been with me since I was 19, and now I'm 32, and I'm still growing. But they have been gracious to me, and I need to make sure that I put a parenthesis there, that, that, that as people are trying and learning, let us be gracious to folks. Let us be gracious. Give young men time to learn their gifts. Give young women time to learn their gifts. Let them make mistakes. Don't judge them. I thank God for Bethel Gary that you guys have been patient with this young preacher, allowing me to, to, to flourish in my pastoral ministry. And people need to feel grace from the church, that it's okay for you to fall. You, you may not hit a sermon out the park, but well, hey, brother, we still, we still love you. You may not ta- taught your best, but you gave it your best, and so we still love you, and we're still here to support you. We need to be gracious. You know, Bethel Gary, it will take time for us to figure out what position we all play well. It took the Bulls years to adjust and find their rhythm, but they never quit. But what made them super great is everybody on the team didn't want to be like Mike. They wanted to be who, whom they were created to be. They embraced their individual gifts, and I'm encouraging us to embrace our individual gifts The reality is, is that God is saying to us 
this afternoon. Like Oprah, you get a gift and you get a gift. Y'all remember Oprah, right? You get a car and you get a car and, 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 and God in the same way is saying, you get a gift and you get a gift and, and God has all kinds of gifts he can give. This is, what, this is what Paul says, having gifts that defer according to, to, uh, according to the grace given to us, let us use them in prophecy and proportion to our faith, if service and our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in, in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. One of the challenges is that there are five places in the New Testament that describes spiritual gifts. None of them, none of these listings are the same same in number in the number of gifts or specific gifts listed to give you a sense. Here it is. If you can pull it up on the screen, if you can see it on the screen, 1 Corinthians 12 verses 8 through 11. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, Romans 12, where we're at right now, verses 6 through 8, Ephesians 4 through 11, 1 Peter 4 through 11. All of these various places in the Bible describes the various gifts that God gives to the body. Now, as you go to each of these sections in the Bible, what you're going to find out is that, is that, is that there's different uh, listings here. Some of them overlap, but it's about 20 unique gifts in, 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 uh, collectively in these various places. This, most theologians believe this, uh, this goes to show that this list is not exhaustive. These are not all the gifts. Prophecy, service, teaching, apostle, teacher, miracle workers, healing, prophecy, helps, leadership, administration. These are all just examples of, of the ways in which God may give the body. But here's what we can gather from the text, church. You get a gift, and you get a gift, and you get a gift and you get a gift that God has gifted all of us. God has not left one of his children without a gift. But here's the question that you and I must ask ourselves. Not, not, not do we get a gift. We know that we get a gift. But what we got to ask ourselves, the, the question that we got to ask in the mirror, the thing that we got to grapple with, the thing that we got to deal with is that we got to ask ourselves, Am I going to use my gift? And so my question to you, Bethel Gary, is will you use your gift and 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 will and, and, and will you use your gift? And then I want you to imagine what would happen to, to Gary, Indiana. I want you to imagine what would happen in NWI if you use your gift and in it you use your gift. Because just think about it right now, even in this moment, if if if, if if I didn't exercise my gift, what would happen to the church? If Pastor Steve didn't exercise his gift, what would happen to the church? If Angie didn't exercise her gift, what would happen to Children's Church? If Ken Barry didn't exercise his gift, what would happen to City Life Center? If, if, if Eric didn't exercise his gift, we wouldn't be live right now. If Chuck didn't exercise his gift, we wouldn't be live right now. If Leanne didn't exercise her gift, there'll be no piano right now. If we didn't use our gifts, there would be 
no ministry. There will be no gospel movement. People wouldn't be getting saved. People wouldn't be getting baptized. But when we use our gifts, God does incredibly, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we may ever think or even ask. Because when the church is on the move, light comes into the world. Salt gets spread. The homeless get fed. The mentally challenged get cared for. Bible study begins. Souls get cared for. Hearts begin to get changed. Uh, seniors get encouraged. When the church uses its gift, God does great, marvelous, and wonderful things. And don't you want to be a part of that? I wish we had that kind of spirit that the Bulls had. Not just one championship, but two championships, three championships. And they became more hungry and more hungry. And they said we wanted to give our fans what they wanted. We are in a better business. We are in the business of seeing souls saved. We move because we believe that it will give life to our community and that it will give life to one another. So once again, my question to you, church, is will you use your gift for the good and flourishing of the church and for the community around you?